0: Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Ozgan. Here with my friend Chabruta and Gordon. Our dap today, Masachet Yivamot, dap chaf vav, page 26. Well, we're going to finish our second parak of Yivamot, hard to believe, so we're really in the thick of it, um, and begin the third parak today. Again, it's going to be a two Mishnah episode. I'll take one, and we'll take another. So I'm going to finish up parak that with the following uh, Mishnah. V'kulam shehayulahem Hemnashim umetu. So we're, we've are we been talking about these different scenarios where somebody through their actions, either by being a witness or by being a judge, freed or let's say released or absolved a woman's marriage. And the question is, those who sort of were involved with that process, could they go ahead and marry that woman? And the pretty much the answer is no, you can. There's a couple of exceptions when maybe you can. If, if the at, you know, if it happened through a besden or if you were a witness with a pair. Um, but the general rule is you can't because then there's a suspicion that either you gave that ruling or you gave that testimony in order to that you could marry that woman who would have been forbidden to you by virtue of her being married. And so here the Mishnah, this last Mishnah while it was on this thread says the following, all and for all of all of the if they had wives, meaning at the time of that ruling or that testimony when it was given, and those wives died, right? Uh, sorry, if, uh, if they had wives and their wives died afterwards, okay? Then those women, right, that they had set free, then they are permitted to be married to them. In other words, and this is sort of the very interesting caveat, if those people were married, right, and they were involved in sort of releasing another woman, they cannot marry those women. But let's say their first wives died, okay? And then there's sort of like no suspicion anymore about, you know, that maybe they would divorce their first wife or something. Then they actually, they could marry those women after their first wife died, because there's not a concern that while their wives were alive, you know, we, we that's when we would sort of be, uh, but after you know, passed away essentially, um, you know, then we say like, okay, it, it, it's fair and and they can get remarried. And then the right and concerning all of these women okay who basically were not allowed to marry a certain man because of some suspicion that we had right and they were basically married to somebody else and then they got divorced or widowed from that husband they then for a third marriage could marry whoever it was this judge or this witness or that they could marry them. In other words, as long as there was sort of an interim marriage, um, they could get married. Because again, we don't have the same uh, suspicion uh, you know, that they sort of uh, were involved in making sure this woman's marriage ended because they themselves really wanted to marry that woman. The kulan mutarot ola And all of these women, okay, who were not going to be allowed to marry these specific individuals, again, the judge, the shaliach, or the aide, the witness, they actually can marry their sons or their brothers. Because again, at some point we can have a suspicion or a conspiracy theory for an individual, but we're not going to extend it uh, to his family. And so here, the, the so it's an interesting Gemara. I'm actually surprised sort of where this Mishnah, sorry, it's an interesting Mishnah. I'm surprised sort of where it lands because you've sort of had a series of Mishnayos that seem to take a very, very strict view. And then here this Mishnah comes with sort of all of the coolas involved with this situation. And the big Kula to me is, is, you know, that if their first wife dies, then they would be allowed to marry these women, which, which to me is very interesting. So I'll just read a little bit of the Gemara here, right? So we have the mission bit that basically said that the men had wives who then die, right? And who they helped uh, not be married anymore, uh, uh, you, know, uh, you know, they can marry them. And so the Gemara makes a very astute comment, metu in nit grashu lo, right? If it's that their wives died, it would be allowed. But if they were divorced, no. Because in other words, if they divorced their first wives, again, we would have the suspicion that it was that they really wanted to be married to this other person whose uh, ending of their marriage they were involved in. And that's really why they uh, they divorced their wives. Rav Hillel or Rav Ashi. So Rav Hillel says to Rav Ashi, Tanya, but we learned in a brisa. needs grushu, but we have a brisa that says, even if they divorce. So this brisa seems to say, metu low kasha. so it's not difficult. Katata, Katata. This Mishnah is referring to a case when there was a quarrel, right? When there was a fight between the husband and the wife at the time that he freed the other woman. So there's a real concern, and that's what our Mishnahs... And so there's a concern that, yeah, got into a fight with his wife or you knew they weren't getting along, he frees this other woman and then would want to divorce his wife to marry this freed woman. But the talking about when there was no quarrel between them and therefore uh, the divorce, you know, could have been for some other reason. I'm not sure how much I believe this. You know, it's an interesting, um, I you know, resolution, because I think people are much more complicated than than sort of just saying like, ha tata, hello, katata, ha And then the Gemara goes on to say, right, the Iba is if you want to say, neither of these are talking about where there was a fight, right? The low kasha, it's not difficult. This case of the Mishnah is when he started uh, the fight himself, right? So in other words, then there's really a concern. In other words, he's the one who somehow was really starting up with this and so there is a concern that he would want a divorce. And the case of the Brisa, is when his wife started the fight. So okay, he doesn't want to be with somebody who started a fight with him, and so he left again. I'm not sure how convincing this is. Um, to me, the case of divorce should be treated with equal suspicion, and I wouldn't. I, I would fall on that it wouldn't be allowed if if I were writing the mission or the Brisa. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, again, it's interesting that I, all throughout these first two Parcum of Uvamos. I have found that even talking about yibum or this other totally different scenario at the end of Parak Bet, it's really been, you know, there's been an emphasis on what is not allowed, right? This discussion we had starting with like that yibum is discussed in terms of which co-wives aren't permitted. That whole discussion around the Shnir, conversations around uh, women who you commit adultery with or uh, converts. And then even getting to this thing, which is like women who you may have truly helped but you cannot marry afterwards. And then the Mishnah kind of ends, this parak ends sort of with this very interesting Kula. Um, and so I, I don't know, I find it a little puzzling because it looks like the Mishnah and the Gemara has gone so out of its way to say what's not permitted. And then we sort of have this like little thing like, oh, but if the wife dies and it's clear he wasn't doing this to get divorced from his first wife, this seems to be okay.
1: I feel like there's a whole other angle or aspect or plane. Of issues of intent, then we've discussed pre- previously. Meaning, we've talked about intent in all kinds of contexts, you know, throughout the past couple of years, right? In the context of wh- whether mitzvot require intent to fulfill them, right? And what does somebody mean when they come to do anything, right? And what is a person's intent when they, you know, you know, function as a shaliach or as a, to divorce or whatever? Like, I understand that the mechanisms in place don't per se require intent. But I feel like what's really going on behind the scenes does seem to be like, well, what did you mean? What was your motivation? And and how is that going to reflect on whether we say that, in fact, this worked or it didn't work?
0: Yeah, I, I I, don't know. I mean, I, I, these were very interesting scenarios. And I did appreciate sort of the idea that like if you were person, there's a piece of it that I think actually is protective to the woman, right? That uh, no one, because you could see a scenario when someone says like, I'll be your Shelly for your get, or I'll be your witness, but you have to agree to marry me afterwards. Um, uh, now I know that that's sort of a weird thing to say, because we all know that Agunod and get is its whole own separate thing that really does not leave women protected. And I mean, again, I'll think needs to be fixed sooner rather than later, about a thousand years ago. Um, but I do wonder if there's sort of an element of protection to women there. I know this may not sit well with a lot of listeners who are particularly finding it almost to be, you know, I will just (laughs) use the word, misogyny of all the masachat that we've learned so far. There are a lot of reasons
1: to find this masachat challenging, I think.
0: Yes, yes.
1: Okay, I'm actually going to move us on to chapter three. Believe it or not, we are making our way through. Um, And for as much as the past few mishnayot that we've been Reading and the Gemaras them have been kind of sidestepping the cases or the particulars of Yavamot. Right? Um, we are back in the thick of Yavamot cases. Meaning, we took a sidebar to talk about conversion and to talk about Mamzerut and to talk about you know divorce and Shlichut and all that kind of thing. All of which is, I think, as we said before, very near the issues of of Yavamot and and the processing of you know news that somebody has died, and so on. But now we've got, you know, again, the math, let's say, of cases of brothers and sisters, and now what happens, right? So, let's see if we can do this. I want to also sing the praises of, for people who have access to the Quran, Magi, Noi, whatever translation of the Gemara, they, of, the, of Yevamot. they have a chart uh, that's headed, maybe Chia's description of forbidden relationships according to Rambam. So, obviously, it's just the one approach it's not trying to accomplish everybody's approach or a universal approach, but what it does is it shows you. It has male and female designated by the shapes, and then it has also in in the code of the of the chart. It has who's forbidden by Torah law, who's forbidden by rabbinic law, where you end up with a prohibition that continues. You know, on the other, let's say the next generation, whatever. And then instead of doing what I've tried to do sometimes, which is with let's say letters or numbers to try to identify each person's in the relationship or your data, sometimes you use names and I know that other people are using charts with names. The problem I have with the names or the numbers or the letters is that keeping straight what the code equals is its own challenge, right? So what this chart, it's a double spread on the page. So you end up with enough room in the table to have it say above each little figure, Mother's mother, mother's father, mother's paternal half brother's wife. Right? Meaning, there's a, and so then you can never lose track of who you're talking about because it is right there, and then you can look and see: is this an allowed union? Is this not an allowed union? What's you know, and and where does the prohibition kick? Why has a prohibition kicked in? Meaning, who is prohibiting that relationship because of yet a different relationship? So, so I think that that particular um way of signifying it, meaning. If you have a big enough paper on your chart or you're using a spreadsheet or something like that and you can actually label with the case, with the particular relationship there, I think that sometimes makes it that much more, I don't want to say easy. I don't find, I don't think it's simple here, but it, it does clarify who's what and why those prohibitions kind of kick in. So now back to our Mishnah. Arabah Achim, we have four brothers. achayot. Okay, bear with me. We've got four brothers, two of whom married two sisters. And then the ones who were married to the two sisters died. So now what has to happen to the sisters, right? The two sisters, they do chalitza and they do not do yibum. Why do they not do yibum? Well, let's think this through, right? <laughs> Technically, each of them, each of these two women, is eligible, let's say, or there's a zikat yibum that they're technically required to have yibum. Okay, but then what happens? They've got that zikat yibum with each of the brothers who is still surviving, meaning not the two who died, but the two who whom they weren't married to to begin with, right? So now each brother, like a picture with arrows, let's say, or strings, each brother has that zikat yibum going to each sister. But on the other hand, each of them, each of the sisters, right? Each of the sisters is the sister of a woman whom the brother has a zikat yibum, which therefore forbids that woman to the brother, at least according to rabbinic law. Meaning, maybe not to the right, but at the very least according to rabbanon. So, so we end up with a situation where the same requirement. The, well, I'm sorry. The the yibum kicks in because that's the dynamic with the brother who died, but yibum is prohibited because that's the dynamic with the other sister who's alive, right? Because because um, two <laughs> sisters to begin with, and everybody's brothers, right, at the time of <laughs> the three Okay, ve'im khamu ve'kansu and then this is a stronger statement than we've seen sometimes previously, right? If they did get married, meaning they didn't ask, they didn't check what the law was, they just went, "Oh, we've got to do evil, and they got married. So one of these two brothers married one of the sisters, and one of the other the other brother married the other sister. So the Mishnah here says that they should they should separate, they should be divorced, because this is the kind of situation where they cannot stay married, because again, the the two sisters. Kind of negate the potential for Yibum from the other sis- for the other sister from either of these brothers. Okay, So this is a really interesting machloket I think between Behilah and Beit where Rabbi Elezer's position is kind of a counter to the P'sak that the Mishnah has just said, namely that they should get divorced; they can't stay together. Rabbi Lazar says it's not so simple that they everybody agrees that they should separate. Rather, Beit Hilla says they have to separate, but Beit Shammai says no, no, they can continue along. Meaning, they not that they should do it to begin with, but once it's done, they don't have to separate. So that's a really again we've talked about how the the difference of psak between Beit Hilla and Beit Shammai had real implications for the status of the people who then were like let's say, the progeny of a Beit Shammai psak or progeny of a Beit Hill meaning they were really different and, you know, you end up with um, prohibitions versus permission in exactly the same case, which then can really affect, you know, what's the status of that, let's say, of that child or of that woman or whatever, and then when we come back to that idea that in fact the, the houses of Shammai and Hill married each other, right, throughout this, or at least with some reservations, fine, but you know, it again becomes a striking statement. Okay, that's my own sidebar. The the mission here really just presents the two different approaches. Now, Now, what happens if we have the same case? Four brothers, two sisters married two of the brothers, but one of those sisters, we're going to modify the case, one of those sisters was prohibited to one of the brothers because of the prohibition against whatever forbidden relations, meaning she's a what she's a relative of his wife, you know, that kind of thing. A relative is his mother. So he is now prohibited to marry her, but he could marry the other one, right? The other sister. And then that means that the other brother could marry the sister with whom there's a prohibition with that first brother, right? Meaning, once Yibum is negated, because they've got this Isur Eravat, there's a close relation. Um, let's let's just take a step back and remi- remind ourselves of this rule right, the only erva, right, the only of the arayot that the yibum negates is eshet ach, right, the wife of your brother, but other arayot relationships are still in place, and once they're in place, what they do is they kind of nullify the zikat yibum, they, you say, well, there's an erva relationship there, they can't get married afterwards, they'll have to do, I, I'm sorry, anyway, they'll have to do Khalita instead so we end up with a situ- situation where because we've got two brothers and two sisters and it's not all fair game here right meaning the brother and the the brother and the one wife have a relationship from let's say from his side right from his from his wife's side i mean so because of that then they're going to cancel the requirement for Yibum. but that means that since they can't since it was never there he can instead marry the other sister. And again, the other brother who doesn't have this issue could marry that that one, that first brother. But at least potentially, right? So, because again, it seems like it's key, they're not even the sisters because the relationship is different. Okay. But that's not what the Mishnah I mean, that's at least the way the logic could take us. But look what the Mishnah says here. Um, so that one guy, he can't marry her anyway, but he's allowed to marry the other one to have me, It's not just chalitza. Vasheni, and this is the kicker: vasheni asur The second sister, and the logic here is puzzling a little bit. I think the, or you would think that this, that the whole first case would nullify the second case, and the answer is no. The same way that the, that in the very first case, the sisters kind of knocked each other out, and therefore they were they did chalitza. And So the in this case, the sister who does not have this prohibited relationship with the brother, but with the with the man, right? So it it doesn't matter. She still is in that possible. She's still in that role of um, he's not, he is not the second brother is not a close relative relative of either one of them, and therefore he's forbidden to marry both of them the same way we saw it to begin with. Again, this bears further discussion because you would think, again, that the situation with the one woman changes, qualitatively changes the situation. With the second one, the Mishnah, according to the Mishnah, that is not the case. Now, that's a long Mishnah, I'm sorry. If we've got a prohibition because of a Mitzvah, and we've talked about this now at length, if we have a prohibition because of a Mitzvah or a prohibition that comes from kedusha, so again, a prohibition from A mitzvah could be, um, I'm trying to think of the examples that we used before, Um, but the basic line, the basic issue here is, right, that there's a Torah commandment to to follow the rules of the rabbis. So like the moment you end up with a mitzvah that says, you know, um, here are the rabbinic relationships, here are the relationships that according to rabbinic law, you cannot have a union here. So then, that's that. Like it's and it's considered like according to the mitzvah because the rabbis decreed. So that's the mitzvah of you know listening to the rabbis. Um, the isur kedusha we talked about isray kedusha that when there's a family relationship um, that is not quite at the thing at the level of the isur erva, right? It's not isur erva, but we're still concerned about the kedusha, the sanctity with regard to the the let's say the in-laws or whatever right that's one of the examples we talked but also we spoke specifically about what happens when you have um uh you know a momser in part of the mix like can a mom who can a mar- mom's or marry and we've discussed how that's really very difficult or for example a Kohane to a grusha right these cases it's not it's the uh, let's leave out the factor that i said about the in-laws because that gets messier and perhaps is not necessarily as relevant in this case. But these are the issues of Kedusha that that because of one's status with regard to holiness, um, we're going to say that there are prohibitions against get the marriage. Okay, so again, Isor mitzvah, Isor Kedusha, Choletzet velo bemet. We default to chalitza, we do not do yibum. And then, Haitha mehen asura alzeh, Isor erva, Vashniya asura alze, Isur erva, What happens if you have, again, the four brothers and two, and they're married to, four brothers are married to two sisters and the, and the two of the brothers, the husbands die, right? Now, let's see if I can say this right. Now, the, the, one of the women, there's a a forbidden relationship between one of those remaining brothers, right? And the other woman has a prohibition, a a forbidden relationship prohibition to the other brother, um, and that's the case that I was trying to to get the previous version to work out to be right. That each of them, because they have this this prohibition that knocks out the zikat yibum for that particular brother, means that each of them, in fact, does have a yavam, and they actually could have yibum with those two people, but not with the other ones. So there is no need to default to chalitza. You could actually do yibum. And then the Zohi Sha'amru, Achota Keshihi Yivimta. And now the Mishnah kind of clarifies something that we said a very long time ago. The Mishnah said a very long time ago that we perhaps didn't, you know, we needed this Mishnah to clarify that one that day. Um, Namely, when the sister is also the Yivama, meaning when both sisters are Yivamot, and then what happens? When do you end up with Yivom, right? Or when do you have Chalitza? So again, (laughs) O Choletzet Omit mityabemet. So in the case of where the sister is also the yavama, um, and they come before they have Yibu, They come before the two brothers for the sake of yibum. So again, either they could do chalitza or they could do yibum. That case only works if they if the all the forbidden stuff is is in exactly the right kind of. Um, set up with each of them, meaning there are too many cases where it knocks them out and they'll have chalitza instead of yibum, but then if you get the right exact combination, then they could actually have yibum. Now, is the gold to have yibum? I'm not so sure, but maybe for those particular women, that kind of level of protection was better than chalitza. I do think that the Gemara has no, the, the mission of the Gemara, whatever, have no difficulty defaulting to chalitza. There's no like <laughs> We don't want to let them have chalitza. We want to make sure that they can do yibum. There's a sense of like, let's make sure, let's find out where yibum could take place. But I don't have the sense that that it's really technically preferable to chalitza. It seems that they are equally capable, equal, uh, you know, they equally have the capacity to deal with the zikat yibum, and that is fine. Meaning chalitza works just as well as yibum for the sake of, you know, undoing the requirement for yibum. Quite literally, either you actually do yibum or you do chalitza, and you move on with your life.
0: Right. I mean, we did have that one line before that said, "like, don't think chalitza is yibum." So I, I, I think there's this weird balance that it's like, it's two distinct solutions to the same problem. Uh, you know, that's how I keep thinking about it. I, I haven't determined yet if there's a judgment that one is better than the other, but I think the fact that they talking about it that way that it's 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 a solution two options or two solutions to one problem to me reflects hazel's discomfort with the overall notion of ibum. like i don't yeah, know that I they think... can go as far as to say chalitza is preferable but they seem really okay when they want to say oh yeah you could do chalitza here
1: right i i that's what i mean i think that when i say that it's easy to to kind of to, okay, we'll go to Khalitza, right? Like there's there's no hesitation to do that. Yes,
0: yes, that I would agree with. So I guess we're now just entering, we're doing like what I call Yibum word problems. <laughs> <laughs> but it's exactly I like what it is. I, I feel like I'm taking a map test or like a brain teaser, and that's gonna be the rest of the masachet.
1: And this is where the charts come in so come in so handy. And also necessarily if you if you really want to track it through, if you want to get the concepts, I mean I I think that the concepts are readily available the tricky thing is actually all of the all of the cases all of the details
0: right well that's our daily word problem oh no i mean dap of the day <laughs> let us know what you thought about this dap in our talking town with facebook page thank you to revenue michelle farber for hosting us on the hodden website let us know uh it and until tomorrow i went out of order today and until tomorrow go and learn <laughs>